Christ's example as supreme. He's holding Jesus as the epitome of what we should be like. Do you remember from chapter 1, Paul expressed how some preach the gospel. It's legitimately the gospel that they preach, but they do so in a manner trying to cause harm to Paul. Doesn't that sound weird? He talked about that in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And then just a few verses later, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul in chapter 1, gave us an example in his own life where he could have been complaining, and instead, he was joyful. People were intentionally, personally against him, and instead of taking it personally, he rejoiced that God's gospel was going forth. So that's kind of the backdrop of where we've been Uh, Where we're going today is in chapter 2, but before we get there, let's review our theme verse. How many of you have uh, these first three verses of our theme passage memorized? Some of you do. Very good. Very good. Um, I appreciate you working on it. I also appreciate if it's like, that's a lot of words. I get that too. Um, How many of you memorized these in a different translation before? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, and if you memorize it in, that, in another translation, that's absolutely perfectly fine. I don't have any qualms with that. Uh, our goal is to make sure we keep in front of us what the book of Philippians is all about. So that's why we have a theme passage. Let's say it together. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Last week in our passage, uh, we were challenged to obey the word of God, to obey the commands of God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You put in the effort, and God helps you to do so. Today, Paul is building on that as we continue in our passage in Philippians. So follow along with me, if you would. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, thank you for this passage. Help us to feel the weight of it. Help us to live it. So Father, guide my thoughts and my words this morning. In your son's name I ask. title of today's sermon is sincerity 
to be sincere is to be genuine. Uh, the, the, the inverse would be to, uh, to not be hypocritical. Isn't that the accusation leveled against the church so often is that the church is full of hypocrites, that they say they believe one thing, but they actually do another. Uh, but to be genuine is to be consistent, to have a consistency of attitude and action. And in today's passage, it's to be consistently godly, whether it's what we say or what we do or how we feel. That's the hard one, isn't it? We can force ourselves to do what's right, but to feel that on the inside, that's a different level right there. There is this capacity that we have to do things that are contrary to our desires. It's a good thing. Uh, many of you get up and go to work on Monday mornings against your desire. That's a good thing. What's often lacking is the ability to do that thing that you don't want to do and also have a good attitude while doing it. Now, sometimes we can do the thing that we don't want to do and we can show a good attitude, but we don't actually have a good attitude. Yet this is exactly what we are called to do, not to pretend to have a good outlook, but actually having our heart in tune with what God wants for us. Our big idea this morning is God wants you to live for him with your whole being. He wants you to live for him with your whole being. And we see that in the very opening words of our passage. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Should we have the instrumentalist come back and have a, <laughs> have a walk the aisle altar call right now? How many of you, can, don't raise your hand, please don't raise your hand. How many of you failed in this in the past week that you grumbled about something or you disputed or argued about something? I firmly believe that the word of God is relevant to life today. I believe Paul's letter to Timothy where in 2 Timothy 3.16 he says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Some passages of scripture take a little bit of connecting the dots, especially when we're in the Old Testament. That's okay. We have to connect the dots of what the, the passage says and how that relates to us. But other passages just hit it home immediately, and today's one of those passages. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. Great theological lesson I learned at Faith Baptist Bible College is that all means all, and that's all all means. I'm glad I learned more than that for my education, but that's a very important concept in reading scripture. When it says all, it doesn't mean, except when the circumstances are really bad, then go ahead and complain all you want. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
seven days a week, 168 hours in the week. How many of them were grumble-free? Thankfully, we sleep a bunch of those. Hopefully, you're not grumbling in your dreams. Maybe some of you, I don't know. There's an interesting term that has emerged in our culture in recent years. It's called adulting. There are certain tasks that are necessary in order to function in a society that adults must do. For instance, adults pay their utility bill. It's not exciting, but it's something that young people don't do. Generally speaking, college students don't do. If you go to college and then move back with mom and dad, you're probably not paying a utility bill. You know you've arrived to adulthood when you have to pay the utility bill in order to, to keep the electricity on, to keep the heat going. It's part of being in the real world. That's, to be honest, somewhat silly term, adulting, is simply doing what you're supposed to do and accepting it. That's what Paul's asking us to do here on a spiritual plane. He's describing this spiritual version of adulting, this just plain old living the Christian life, which means we obey the word of God as we looked at last week, working out our salvation as he works in us. It means uh, living the Christian life means that we live a life of obedience without grumbling or complaining without disputing or arguing. Did you notice that little first word? You must have. I emphasized it enough. That little important word, all. Do all things without complaining or arguing. Believers of all people should be ones who can disagree without being disagreeable, right? And you know the difference. We can have different opinions about something, but that doesn't mean we have to be obnoxious about it. I was in a discussion with, with a believer this week, not someone from our church, uh, probably not someone you would even know if I dropped the name, uh, and we had two different points of view on this particular situation, and it's, it's not like it was a sin issue where there is a right and a wrong it's, it's one of those areas where uh, two people can choose different things and God is pleased with either one and he would not stop trying to convince me that he was right. I left the conversation going, why? We can disagree and not be disagreeable and we as believers ought to be just great at that. But yet, how easy is it for us, even as followers of Jesus Christ, to be disagreeable? To ask our questions in a manner that implies that we're dissatisfied with how they think, how we think they're going to answer us. Do you see Paul's progression? Do you understand what he's doing? In chapter 2, he's given us the example of Jesus Christ. He's given us the command to obey, and then he's, he's diving into the how we obey. It's not simply godly to do what's right. We must have the heart attitude that's right. 
going along with it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, verse 14. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Believers should stand in contrast to the world around us. If you spend any time at all socializing with people, whether it's at your favorite restaurant or coffee shop, uh, whether it's a conversation on the phone, or whether uh, you're socializing with people over social media, if you spend any time socializing with people, you're going to hear people grumble and complain. We cannot get away from it, can we? In fact, let's grumble right now about how we can't get, no, sorry. Whether it's gas prices or the weather or politics or the neighbor's dog, uh, people are expert complainers. We are all expert complainers. Brothers and sisters, we should not be. We may have the skill because we were born with it, we've grown with it, but we should be out of practice when it comes to complaining. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember whose we are. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes these words, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. We do not belong to ourselves any longer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is true of you. By the way, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you also are owned. Did you know that? Scripture tells us that either we are under the power of the Holy Spirit or we're under the power of Satan. We have a master the question is not, do we have a master? The question is, who is our master? So why is it so important that believers live righteously in the world, both in what we do, how we do it, the mindset that we have as we're going about these things? Why is this so important? Because we are God's children. Because we are God's possession. Our culture cringes at the idea of being owned by anyone. We pride ourselves in self-autonomy. We pride ourselves with freedom. And when it comes to political priorities, yes, we should be against people owning other people. We should be for freedom. That's biblical as well. However, we're not talking about being owned by another human who will inevitably, eventually take advantage of you in one way or another. We're talking about the eternally loving God who bought us with the only thing that could really cost him. Think about that. God owns everything. Money is no object to him. Gold is nothing to him. If it cost a certain amount of gold to pay for our sins, he could certainly pay for it and not actually wound him in any way, would not hurt him in any way to have gold spent on our behalf. 
but he spent that which actually cost him the life of his son. God owning you is the best thing that could ever happen to you. The worst thing that could happen to you would be God abandoning you. Believer, you are owned. You are his child. He has and will provide everything for you, and he can. I, as a father, cannot provide everything that my children might want or desire or might be good for them. I'm very limited. God is never limited. Everyone who knows you should recognize that you are God's child, that you have this attitude that coincides with godliness, and it shows in everything that you do, especially the things that you don't want to do. Normally we call this having a good attitude or maintaining a good reputation. Uh, the, the churchy term is having a good testimony. Today I'm calling it being sincere or having a sincere heart. Where does grumbling come from? Where does disputing with one another come from? It comes from a disgruntled heart, a heart that has forgotten that God is good always and is sovereign over every circumstance of our lives. When is God not good? That's right. Never. He is always good. He's always in control. And if he's put you in a circumstance that you don't like, maybe that's for you to grow. Maybe that's for you to be more godly. We are to have a sincere heart Verses 14 and 15, we are to be sustained by Scripture, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. We stand in bright contrast to a very dark world. Uh, did you notice in verse 15 the, the words he used to describe the culture in which we live uh, being crooked and twisted? But we stand in contrast to this dark world. It says, holding fast to the word of life. Hang on tight. Hang on without letting go. Hang on because your life depends on it. That sort of grip. God's word is what we're to hang on to. The Bible is the word of life. And if we're going to obey God's word, not only in action, but also in attitude, then we must be filled with God's word. We must know his word. We must be in it day in and day out. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring to mind all the ways that, that we need to obey as we read his word. Hold fast. Hang tight. Don't ever let go. The verse continues. Holding fast to the word of, God, word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul turns this from being a very powerful statement that is applicable to all believers, and then he personalizes it here in the second half of the verse as he uh, is writing this to a specific people, the Philippians, people that he knew well, uh, the church that he helped to start. He has a personal vestment in their spiritual health. He's poured into them, and he wants to know that he did not waste his time doing so we are to have a sincere heart that is sustained by scripture 
people have poured into our lives, getting us to where we are as a believer in one way or another. Sometimes it is uh, only through, uh, through the church setting where it's scripture being poured into you through your pastor and teachers. Other times it's, uh, it's a specific mentor that has poured into your life. But people have poured into our lives and God wants, to, wants us to live out what we have been taught, live out the truth of God's word so that we can be a blessing to those who have poured into us. I've had the privilege of pouring into people's lives for many years now. And there are some who are living for the Lord and it makes me so joyful. And there are others who are barely hanging on to the faith and it makes me so sad. Be joyful to those who have poured into you by living a godly life. Be sincere in heart, sustained by the scripture. And we see that Paul here in verses 17 and 18 is sacrificial in his purpose. Now these verses, uh, to be honest, can get a little lost on us. So let's, let's take them carefully and see what Paul is actually communicating to the Philippians. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul uses this language of uh, the ceremonial Old Testament sacrifices, that of giving a drink offering. That's not something that we do today. We don't take the big bowl and pour out uh, water as an offering to God, but that is something that they did from time to time. It wasn't necessarily a regular sacrifice, but that libation sacrifice, that pouring out of water, uh, is, is this ceremonial sacrifice that the Old Testament commanded and they followed, at least when they were being obedient. So in this elegant way, Paul is basically saying that even though his life is being spent, it's being poured out, I mean, he expects that he will die for his faith and in relatively short time. Uh, despite the real peril that he faces, he finds joy. He's facing a terminal diagnosis, and he finds joy. This terminal diagnosis is not from some medical condition. It's because he is following Christ and is in jail for it. And he fully expects that his life will end for his faith. Historically, we know that it did. That Paul died because he was a Christian. Despite the real peril he faces, he finds joy. And more than that, he wants the Philippians to be joyful so he is being poured out as a sacrifice he understands that he knows that his life is being spent for god for his glory and that his earthly time will soon end and not only does he find joy he wants those who love him most to find joy also Believers in Jesus Christ are to have a supernatural view of the world around them. And by that, I mean a godly supernatural view. 
death to the believer is nothing to fear. I do sometimes miss being in the South. I'd get an amen there. It's true. Death is nothing to fear. Why? Because we know what lies beyond. We know that there is an eternal heavenly Father who loves us. There is our Savior waiting for us to be with us forever and ever. And we'll be in a body that does not wear out, that does not grow old, that does not forget things, a body that does not feel pain. We know that the greatest of utopia that we could ever imagine is literally waiting for us on the other side of the grave. We, of all people, need not fear death. It's true we're not excited about dying. The pains that, that we often have to go through to get to the other side, we're not excited about that. We might be a little fearful of that. But we need not fear death. Whether we're talking about facing our own death or facing the death of someone we love. The Philippians loved Paul. Paul loves the Philippians. And he's telling them, I'm going to die. And they need to be joyful for him and through it all. So the language that Paul uses is not simply that of sacrifice, that he is joyful to have given all for the benefit of the Philippians. The language is that of sacrifice to God. He is the water being poured out, and he says that even if it's being poured out for your faith, the sacrifice of your faith, he, he, he um, likens the, the Philippians' faith to that of a sacrificial offering, which is a picture of the gospel right there, isn't it? I mean, we're not saved by an animal sacrifice, but we're saved by a sacrifice we're not saved by the Old Testament sacrifices. We're saved by the sacrifice of Jesus who died on the altar in the shape of a wooden cross for our sins. We are saved through faith. That is our sacrifice. That's what he calls it here in verse 16. Sorry, 17. We believe that we are saved through faith alone. We believe that we need salvation because we are sinners and we always have been. We believe that Jesus is the only means of salvation and that his sacrifice on that Roman cross is the only atonement for sin that there is. We are saved through faith and Paul il illustrates that by calling the Philippians' faith as their sacrificial offering. So let's piece today's passage together. We've been commanded to obey God, to do so without grumbling, without disputing or arguing or trying to justify ourselves, I think fits in that term as well. We're called to obey with the right attitude. We are to do so by being grounded in the word of God and we are to do so with joy, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the outcome. The outcome of Paul's living for God is going to be his death. 
probably won't happen to any of us, but it might. It could. And if Paul, following Jesus Christ, finds joy, even though it might mean the end of his earthly life, how much more can we find joy through the trials that we experience because we live for Christ? God wants you to live for him with his whole, with your whole being. He wants you to live for him with everything that you are. Will you pursue that end this week? Doing all things without grumbling and disputing. Let's pray. Father, your word often calls us to do things that seem impossible. Yet with our obedience to dwelling in your word and with the assistance of the spirit of God that you have implanted in us, Father, we can do all things without grumbling, without complaining. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue this attitude in our lives. That we would become sensitized to the ways in which we just complain the ways that we find ourselves being disagreeable. Lord, as your children, help us to be like our Father, be like our Savior. Help us to not complain, but rather to find joy in all that you lead into our lives. Father, there's there's nothing that we face. There's no hardship that, that we face. There's nothing that we might want to complain about that we face that, that is outside of your purview. You've put it there. And so your call is for us to respond well to it. So Father, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, encourage us, help us throughout this week to live a little more like Christ than we did last week. In Jesus' name we pray.